So listen, uh, I, I've got this message prepared. I, I got two texts for us to dive in this morning before we get to the message. One comes from the Old Testament, one from the New. This is this great story in the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter, where Abraham is, Abraham is having this conversation with God, and it has to do with God establishing his covenant um, with him. Um, and then in the book of Hebrews, we talk about the great cloud of witnesses, the saints. So here, let's begin with um, uh, Genesis 15. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is really Ezerir, the Damascus? Really? Abram said, you have given me no offspring. And so a slave born in my house is to be my heir? But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No, 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 no. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Abram, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And from the book of Hebrews, hear these words from the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely to us, and let us run the, with, run the race with perseverance that is set before us today, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So you're probably wondering why I've got two vacuum cleaners up here. How's that all fit in? Well, I've got a story. So um, uh, about, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago, I shared with you all our youngest son, Cameron, uh, is, uh, he finally moved out. He's got his own apartment. We're really grateful for that. I'm very, very thankful that he's doing uh, very well. And, uh, and so uh, Mrs. Hendren um, decided as soon as he moved out, we, well, I guess she's gone to redecorating. And so um, we were in the process of moving um, all his stuff out. And lo and behold, rooms to go keep showing up at our house. I just want you to know that. And so, um, and so in the midst of that transition, um, you know, we were trying to get Cameron's room cleaned out, take all his stuff out. And, and so I, I went in to um, actually uh, vacuum um, the room and where he was, um, where he was in his, his bedroom. And I, I ran, I mean, there was a lot of foreign substance in there, lots of different things. So I ran over something. And so lo and behold, my, um, my vacuum cleaner quit. It just kind of died on me right there. Um, and so the little self-propelled motor, evidently, uh, the, it just, it, the, the, it continued to run, but the, it wouldn't suck up anything. So I'm like, well, this is a bummer. Crud, crud, doggone it. So then I thought, okay, what am I do now? So either, you know, here's the, here's the kicker about that. So, you know, vacuum cleaners are fairly cheap and they're cheaply made. So they're almost like disposable these days. So, I mean, you can either, I can either thought, okay, I can either go to Walmart and spend another hundred bucks and go get a, a, a brand new vacuum cleaner, or I can take it to Sharky's down in Wildwood and it's going to probably cost me 50 or 75 bucks to go get it repaired. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I thought, you know what, I'm just, I just threw it in the back of my, in my trunk. And I thought, you know, if I get to it, I get to it. So meanwhile, I just went and went ahead and bought another vacuum cleaner at Walmart. And so, um, 
And so what was, you know, kind of interesting about all that, um, I, I was Friday, I was doing my errands and I thought, you know, what the heck, I'll just go ahead and go to the vacuum cleaner place. I'll just see, um, maybe he can fix it. So I pulled up and so this young man comes out and he gets my vacuum cleaner out. And when we go into the little store there at Sharky's and Wildwood, and so I go around the corner and, and so all of a sudden the lady there, there's a, there's a lady there and then there's a young kid, that, well, a young man who takes one and there was a couple other people here. I'm assuming they're probably from the villages and then all of a sudden the lady's in charge. She says, she says can I help you? I said, well, my vacuum cleaner is broken. She says, well, what's wrong with that? I said, I don't really know. It, the self-propeller thing is not working. And, and, she says, um, and she says, Dennis, Dennis, you have a customer here. And so uh, all of a sudden Dennis pops around. He says, what's going on? I said, well, um, Dennis, I, I don't know. My vacuum cleaner, I was vacuuming my kid's yard, uh, my, his, his, uh, his room I, and the, thing, the self-propeller things. And he says, now I'm thinking it might be two, three weeks, right? He says, let me see it. I said, yes, this is good. So he takes it around the back and he starts working on it. Now, here's the interesting thing. As I'm sitting there kind of standing around, you know me, I can't meet, I, I never meet a stranger. All of a sudden, I see on the counter a Bible. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. It was opened up. It was an open Bible. I think it was at somewhere in the middle of Proverbs or something. And so I said, oh, I see you got a Bible here. And the lady said, who owns the place evidently, she says, oh, yes, we're all Christians here. And I thought, well, this is great. We can just have a holy vacuum cleaner, holy huddle thing going on. This is great. So um, I, I, look, I, 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 just, I just found myself gravitated to the Bible. So then all of a sudden, you know me, I can't keep my mouth shut. I just said, oh, I said, you know what? Let me turn to the text that I'm going to preach on this week. And they all said, you're a preacher? And I said, yes. And they go, you don't look like a preacher. I don't know what a preacher is supposed to look like, but evidently it's not this. Okay. So then I opened up to the book of Hebrews and I turned to the 12th chapter and I read what I just read uh, out loud uh, to everybody. And that not only did I read it, this is really cool. So it's me and then Dennis back there and the young kid that and these other two villagers. Not only did I read it, I actually held up the Bible and I said, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And they all looked at me like, we never seen that before. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I did that actually. So meanwhile, Dennis kind of, he says, yeah, I see your problem. And he was just a belt broken. And so anyway, he, he fixed my, my vacuum. So now I've got two vacuum cleaners, you know? So here's the interesting, the reason why I tell you, share that story with you is there sometimes in life, um, I'm pretty good at figuring stuff out. And there are some things in life that I just haven't quite figured out. So when it comes to vacuum cleaners, I take it to Dennis because he's going to figure it out for me, Right. I mean, this is a great thought for us to think about. What are the things that we, sometimes we have figured out and there's some things in life that we haven't quite figured out, um, but I'm always striving and trying to figure out things. Oh, oh when about 30 years ago, my, when we were about to, Donna was about to give birth to our first child, Olivia. My mother-in-law evidently wasn't maybe quite satisfied with maybe my, the potential of my fatherhood skills. So she gave me a book. It was entitled Fatherhood. She says, here, Harold, you need to read this book. Uh, so I, I read the book and it was, it was good. It was a good book, but what's interesting, there is stuff that happens in life when it comes to kids that it ain't in the book. 
I mean, you just have to figure it out on the fly. This is the way it is when it comes to navigating raising children. I love this quote from uh, John Maxwell. He said, he talked about children. He's talked about especially babies. He says, you know, interesting thing about babies. He says, they're, they're like digestive apparatuses. Uh, they have absolutely, uh, on the front end, absolutely no um, requirements on the front end, but on the back end, they require a whole lot is what he says, right? Uh, completely, you know, so I... I totally get that. So after five years, I, I could, you know, I mean, after five kids, I could probably have written the book. I could write the book now on raising the kids. But, that, but as you go through life, um, you know, there's some things that you just kind of, well, you have to figure out on life. I mean, there's just sometimes you figure out, sometimes you don't. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I was in college, I, I ran cross country at Florida the College for four years. So once again, I, I decided because if I wanted to be a better runner, I needed to read the book. So I got the book. So I got the book, How to Become a Better Runner. And so what's interesting about the book, it talked about nutrition. It talked about training techniques. It talked about run, how to shoes, all that stuff. But you know what I found out after like running after 40 years, especially running races, when you get down to the nitty-gritty and you're like 50 yards from the finish line after you've run like a whole marathon and you want to win and there's you and the guy next to you, you got to dig deep if you really want to win. And I like to win. <laughs> Guess what? The book doesn't cover that. There are some things in life you just have to, oh, you just kind of have to figure out, isn't it? So I've been on this quest this week. I've been trying to figure out what, here's a great question for us to think about. What made the great cloud of witnesses so great? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? When it comes to life, I mean, you know, the whole thing about what really makes the great cloud of witnesses so great. It's like, so for example, um, if you go and you go back and look at the front, so I read chapter 12. So if you go back to chapter 11, you find the answer, I think, to that question, what makes the great cloud of witnesses so great? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, like that. Uh, if you go back to chapter 11, it says, by faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. By faith, Moses' parents has protected him three months from the king of Egypt. By faith, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. Well, are we seeing a pattern here? By faith, by faith, by faith. So there's something about this, this story that I've just read from chapter 12. When you go back to chapter 11, you read the story before the story, there's something about answering that question you know, what made the great cloud of witnesses so great? Evidently, they figured out something about faith. Uh, you know, so I, I made my, my list of things. I, I, I love this list. I, I would encourage you to make your own list. Things that you have figured out and things that maybe you haven't figured out in life. You ready? All right, so here's Harold's things that I figured out. As I've gotten older, my father's advice has actually gotten a little bit more wiser. You don't have to be smart to be successful and to be in the ministry. Running is a great place to pray. You can never say, I love you enough. Uh, When your kids wreck your car, take a deep breath before you speak. (laughs) You have to eventually let your kids grow up and figure it out on their own. Asking for forgiveness is stronger than winning the argument. 
Coaching Little League Baseball is like herding cats. You can't get it all done in one day, but the Lord, is, if he's willing, he'll give you another day to which, again, you can just pick it all up and where you left off, and that's okay. There is a heaven, I really truly believe, and I hope that there's hot, crispy donuts there. <laughs> I figure that out. Okay, so things I have not figured out. You ready? The Rubik's Cube. I haven't figured that out. My son Jordan can do a Rubik's Cube in probably 45 seconds. I said, Jordan, how do you do that? He says, Dad, it's all in the algorithm. It's all in the algorithm. And it's all in the algorithm. I said, what's an algorithm? <laughs> he can do it. Why Facebook is such a big deal? I haven't figured that out. How to change my password? I haven't figured that out. Why cell phones are so expensive and why changing service providers is so stressful? I haven't figured out why gas prices keep going up and down. I haven't figured out how the villages can build a house in 15 minutes. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I haven't figured out why everything that tastes good has a lot of calories in it. I haven't figured out how the top 1% of America owns 35% of the net worth in America. I haven't figured out why bad things happen to good people. I haven't figured out how Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round and was the 199th pick. So this week I've been trying to figure out what makes the great cloud of witnesses so great. And evidently, there's something about by faith, by faith, by faith. I thought this is interesting. I was reading this this last week. In Hebrews 11, the author writes to believers who are living under the strain of the Roman Empire, the pressure. He reminds them of the great heroes of faith. He reminds them of Abraham and Jacob and Rahab and Moses. And the one common denominator of them, the one thing that makes these stories heroic is not their IQ. It's not their age. It's not their gender it's, or their competency, not the fact that they... Well, they made fine calculated choices 100% of the time. It's none of these things. Rather, it's that, it's that each of them did the thing Paul advocates, the Corinthians and the Philippians and the Thessalonians, that is so essential. They lived in this way that was fundamentally different by faith. The common denominator it has is how God used them to play a role in telling God's story. Sometimes that story is about deliverance. Sometimes it's about hope. Sometimes it's about sacrifice. Sometimes it's about failure. Sometimes it's about courage. Sometimes it's about salvation. Sometimes it's about whew, love by faith. But all kind of somehow these examples of these great cloud of witnesses is connected to somehow the relationship with God and how they place their faith in him. I shared with you all last week that I had, um, actually I did three funerals in seven days last week. Did a lot of funerals. And so what was very interesting in the midst of, you know, um, doing all that, um, and I shared with you once again last week, and you know, you do a memorial service, there's, um, you, there's these snapshots that we have. We have like this little board and you can tell a lot, as I shared with you all last week, tell a lot about a person by their snapshots. You know, if they were in a Harley club or they play golf or pickleball or whatever it might be, but you know, they're in the service. So you see the snapshots of all those people. Now listen, being, the ser being a pastor for 35 years, I've learned a lot. You know, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure it all out though, certain things about ministry. But I have figured this out. What's interesting is when I sit down with someone and I'll say, okay, I'll just use the example. Larry, can you tell me a little bit about Larry's life? And what is Larry's legacy? And so they're going to talk about Larry loving playing, maybe he loved his kids and his grandkids and going on cruises and, you know, being a part of the Harley Club. And that's all going to show up on the snapshots. 
And then I'll ask the question, okay, that's all well and good. So can you tell me about Larry's relationship with Jesus Christ and his faith? Now, I usually get one or two answers on that. The one answer might be, oh, Larry was amazing. He was an amazing Christian. Oh my gosh, he was a part of the committee, he was a part of the church, he went to church all the time. His, you know, Larry was just this amazing person and he just loved the Lord, wow. And I wrote all that down. And then there are some times when I say, okay, can you please tell me about Larry and his faith in Jesus Christ? And all of a sudden, this is what I get. Silence. Okay. Uh, well, Larry... When it came to his faith, he was private about that. Private. So I don't know how to interpret that. Sometimes I've figured, is it private just because it was private? Or is it private because it was non-existent? What does that mean? When I ask that question, right? And so I, I shared with you all last week, I mean, what are those things in your life, those kind of the things that are like most important to you, and once again, about your legacy, about how people have influenced your life to, in your journey, this journey of life that we're on. One of the things I love about uh, the Methodist Church is our, our theology of grace. And so Mr. Wesley laid it all out for us. He talked about prevenient grace. Prevenient grace means God's working behind the scenes, and sometimes he can be working through a Sunday school teacher in first grade. Sometimes it could be working through a pastor. Maybe it's worth your grandmother or aunt or uncle. But in the, in the process of this journey that we're on in life, God puts people in our lives and they could be instrumental. And these are, perhaps these are the saints that run the race before us and they are, they're moving our lives to, into this, helping us to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We call this previewing of grace, God working behind the scenes to get us to the point that we're gonna actually, we call it justifying grace, that we're actually gonna say, you know what, I'm a... I have, Lord, I have completely blown it. I realize I'm a sinner. I've got a lot of dirt in my life. I need to ask you to forgive me. I want you to come and live and reign in my life. I want to do better. And I want you to lead the way. So Lord, I surrender my life to you. We call that justifying grace. That's a moment when you actually say, you know what? I want you. I need you. I trust in you. I believe in you. And then we call the next part sanctifying grace. And sanctifying grace means this is the journey that we're on. That God has continued to move in our lives, that we are trying or striving to be Christians and we love the Lord and we want to do good for other people and we treat people with love and grace and dignity and respect. Yeah, I love that. That's what we call sanctifying. And we, we believe that until we take our last dying breath. We're on this journey together. And then Mr. Wesley would say, oh, I don't miss the detail. Mr. Wesley would say, and by the way, we're supposed to be moving towards perfection. Now listen, we may not be made perfect in this life, but when we get to heaven, we will be perfect and holy before Almighty God. Can we been on that? We may not get it here, but we're striving for it. That's what Mr. Wesley would say. So we're on this sanctifying journey together and we're working it out and we're figuring it out and we're striving for these things. This is beautiful, but you know, we're striving towards perfection. We may not get there, but we're striving for it. So what do we figure out? So I made out my, my, thing, my top five personal. Now, here, here's a challenge. You ready? I would encourage you, you got a homework assignment tonight. Before you go to bed, I would encourage you to make your own top five list of things that you really have figured out in your life. 
that you figured out that I called them. Not only have I figured out, but I believe that the real deal. So here's my real deal. Things I've figured out in life for the last 59 years. I have figured out that Jesus is the real deal and he matters most to me. Number one. Number two, I have figured out that my wife and my kids are the real deal and they matter most to me, especially when you get run over a truck and they show up. Number three, I have figured out that my church is the real deal and that you matter to me. I, I love my church. I love New Covenant Church. I, I love the United Methodist Church. And so they're, you guys are number three. Number four is I, I figured out that I, I have some really, really good friends and um, they matter most to me. And then I figured out that my health is really, is the real deal. That my health really matters to me. That's why I run every single day. And by the way, this is the reason why I'm gonna go get one of those procedures on Tuesday. I'm gonna go get a endoscopy and a colonoscopy because I don't want you to have a leaky pastor. <laughs> Leaking iron is what they told me, okay. I mean, so my health is important to me. Okay, so why did I tell you all that? Here's my top, Harold's top five list. You tell me, what are your, what's in your top five list that you have figured out that the most important things in your life? So, you know, Jesus, family, church, friendships, health. I, I will tell you, the cutoff line there did not make my top five was money. Money didn't make my top five. It wasn't my, one of the most important things to me. It was these other things. Uh, the gray cloud of witnesses. Uh, so you go to chapter 11, and, and you find the gray cloud of witnesses. Matter of fact, there's only 11. They made the cut, according to the book of Hebrews. You got Abel, you got Enoch, you got Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses' parents. Moses, Moses made the cut the people of Israel who passed through the Red Sea, and then Rahab. Rahab made the cut to also. You know, what's interesting about Rahab is that Rahab, if you know that story in the Old Testament, when the walls of Jericho, you know, the whole thing about Jericho, they, they sent in spies, the, the Israelites sent in spies, because it was, I think it was the Canaanites had control of Jericho. And, um, and so Rahab, but she was a prostitute. But she didn't, she didn't throw the Israelites under the bus. She, matter of fact, she hid them. She protected them. Um, uh, what's interesting that Rahab made the cut. What's also interesting, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you look at Jesus's, Jesus's genealogy, Rahab was one of Jesus's, I mean, she's a prostitute, was one of the descendants of Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus, but one of the part of Jesus's lines, Rahab's in, back in the story. I thought that was interesting. With the common denominator, how all these people continue to support God's God's story. So here's a thought. Who are your great cloud of witnesses? These people that have helped you on this journey, this sanctifying journey in your relationships with people. That maybe, maybe they've run the race before you. Chances are there is a bunch of people in your life that have been played a supportive role in your life. I mean, we got the 11 here in Hebrews 11, but um, they're part of the great cloud of witnesses. So who are the people in your life that 
I thought about my friend Frank. Matter of fact, I got a picture of Frank. I love Frank. Frank Frank played. Um, he played for the the Chicago Bears. Can you put that picture up? There he is, Frank. Um, Frank um, played for the Chicago Bears back in the fifties. Played with George Hallis. He played for the Bears. I, I met Frank when he was in Miami. Frank weighed. He was like six 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 seven. He weighed about two hundred and fifty eighty pounds. I don't know. And and caught, and he was he uh, he was larger in life. He always you know Frank met. He was like the mayor. Always talking and put, and his little wife Colleen. She was about. Five foot nothing. She weighed about 98 pounds. Let me tell you something. Colleen ruled the roost, though. Yeah, I love Frank. I, I, I think about my friend Fred Kingray at my church in Dunallen. I love, he was such a great friend. The, what I loved about uh, Fred, he, uh, he was a little bit hard of hearing, but when he would get up in front of the administrative council of the, of the board and he would start, and people would kind of pepper him with all these different questions, he just kind of continued to, pla- continue to plaster forward and he had selective hearing. I love that, the way that he could run a meeting, selective hearing. He just pretended he didn't hear it. Kept on going. I, I loved... Um, I love my friend Odie Martin. He was, you know, when I first came here 11 years ago, Odie was one of the saints of our church. He was one of the founders. I mean, one of the, one, I, I would call him like one of the patriarchs of our church. I, and so when Odie talked, people really listened. He was kind of very unassuming, but I mean, he was like, and so I preached my first sermon here um, on John, John 10, 10. Uh, you want to have life? You're going to have a comma. You want to have abundant life. I, I, that's what I preached. On. So I preached two or three sermons. And all of a sudden, Odie shows up in my office about a month later. He says, Harold, we need to talk. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I do? He says, Harold, I don't know if you understand this. I don't know if you picked up on this. I said, what's that, Odie? He says, most of your congregation were a bunch of old people. (laughs) Okay, I figured that out. And then he says to me, Harold, I don't know if you realize this, but you talk really fast. I said, yeah, I do. Now he says, we're a bunch of old people and we can't listen that fast. <laughs> I love Dodie. I, I let, I, a few minutes ago, we had Donna Drew up on the screen. I don't know if you met Donna. Donna was a part of our leadership team here, um, was a part of our care department. I, what I loved about Donna is that she would just say what, what, whatever came to her mind, she would just say it. She had zero filter, zero but I just loved her. Another person that was up on the screen was Rod. Um, and Rod was um, one of, one of, once again, the, one of the cornerstones of our church. He was what I would call a quiet servant. Rod Miller, um, I, I read this quote about quiet servants this last week. Um, quiet servants seek to do what is right. They show up, open doors, cook dinners, visit the sick. You seldom see them in front of the audience. They typically, typically that is, the last place they want to be. They don't stand behind the pulpit, they make sure the pulpit is there. They don't wear a microphone, but they make certain it's turned on. They embody the verse for you, brethren, have been called to liberty and only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serving one another. I, I like Max Lucado said, you know, it's in your best interest to look out for the interests of other people. I like that. So I close with this, um, and we're going to have communion in just a sec. I, I share with you all this great story. We've got this great cloud of witnesses. The idea cloud means is that he, or actually the Roman, uh, Roman tradition is the cloud in the Greco-Roman world meant a great number, 
There's a great number. I mean, the, the 11 is just the tip of the iceberg. The, the idea of the word race is connected to endurance, and it's not, it's the idea that when we go into life, there is this, we continue to have, it's like mastering the skill. It's like when you go and play golf and you watch the masters, these guys are the elite of the elite of the elite, and there's something about endurance and how well and how prepared they are before they play the golf tournament. It's the same thing where we approach the idea of life and it takes endurance to be able to really gain, it's just taking patience one day at a time. The idea of race has to do with, once again, the witnesses has to do with the being a martyr. So there's all this great theological implications. This is dripping with great, great stuff, this great cloud of witnesses. So um, we had this last little story about Abram and a- Abraham and, and um, God. And, and so and you know what I love about this story is that um, so uh, Abraham is a little frustrated with God and says, God, you know, you promised me I was going to have an heir. I mean, am I, is Elazir my slave? Is he going to be my heir? Because he thinks he's not going to have him and, and Sarah are not going to have any kids. I mean, so he says, is, is this, you know, and, and then God says to him, basically, Abraham, don't you trust me? I mean, I promise you, you're going to have a son. That's the first thing. I promise you, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. The second thing, and he takes him outside and says, Abraham, look up into the heavens. It's night. And he says, count the stars if you can. Now, I got a great picture of the stars. This is a picture that was taken about two years ago, and this is actually in the desert in Utah, and that was a comet that happened to be at the right place at the right time as Neowise, this comet was racing across North America, and it's probably a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And we happened to be in the greatest place in North America to actually see the stars, and that was what we saw that night. It was amazing. You could see the tail of the comet. I guarantee you could not see that in the villages. Now, you can get just about anything in the villages, but you can't get that in the villages. So it had to be the right place at the right time. And so what's interesting is, you know, there were, I looked up the stars, and, and then, then you could see the Milky Way. I don't know if you've ever seen the Milky Way, but the Milky Way is spectacular. So listen, so God says to Abraham, okay, I promised you a son. And the second thing is, um, and um, the second thing is, I want you to go count the stars. So Abraham said, okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I can't count them all. That's the point. The point is, I can't count them all, but you can. God, you can count them all. You know best. And I'm placing my faith in you. So do you know how long was between the promise that God made to Abram about having that first son? 25 years. He waited, endurance, patience. Okay, do you know how long it was before the descendants continued to multiply and before they finally got into the promised land? 400 years. Patience. Figuring it out. The whole wander around the desert for 40 years is all about them figuring out who they really are and their identity before they finally got to the promised land, figuring out. I mean, there's some things that just takes time to figure out, right? We don't master this over time. This is what I love about our sanctifying journey. We just continue to keep moving forward and placing our faith in God, and we just continue to figure it out as we go. So I'll close with this. Um, So I've got two vacuum cleaners. 
I'm willing to make a deal. This is the one I took the other day to see Dennis. I have got me one Ferrari vacuum cleaner right there. It works perfect. The little rotiller thing's all doing what it's supposed to do. I could vacuum everything out. This is this pristine. Matter of fact, yesterday I made sure everything was perfect for my sermon. And with this, this vacuum cleaner is perfect. It works great. It is perfectly clean. You see, this is, this is really, it's just perfect. Now this is what a vacuum cleaner looks like after you vacuum your son's room up. This is what it looks like. Okay, so here's just, here's just a thought, just a little thought. You know what's interesting, this great text that we have today? I started thinking about, I don't know how many dirt particles are in there, but there's a lot. Do you realize today that if we took all the dirt of our lives, and this is what's happened, all the dirt of our lives is heaped up on Jesus, and he dies upon an old rugged cross. Now, I don't know how many people in this room today, 600, something like that. Can you imagine all the dirt in my life and your life, and it's all heaped up on Jesus? Now, amplify that and multiply that by 8 billion people that are alive today. And it was all heaped up on Jesus. And he took that, and he died for us, and then I believe he actually rose on the third day. I will die believing that with every, my last breath, I truly believe that. In order for us to know that if we ain't made perfect in this life, but because what Jesus is willing to take my dirt and your dirt and all our dirt and the world's dirt, that someday we can be made pure and clean and holy with him. That's what I believe. I have figured that out.